0: Wrapping up the series today that we've been in over the past several weeks called Supernatural, um, really kind of digging at this idea that um, as people, many of us are fascinated with the idea of the supernatural, of what we can't see or we can't explain, what we can't understand, um, that there's something within us as, as humans um, that knows there's more to this world than meets the eye. And so we're asking the question. Um, Like, what is that? And kind of addressing that from the Christian perspective, how does the Christian faith intersect that? Uh, And and what does the Bible have to say? I think what we're discovering is the Bible actually depicts a world that is much weirder than we think it is. Um, there, there's, it's a little bit weirder. It's not just this cut and dry, like, oh, yay, there's God and there's people and everything's happy. It's like, no, like, there's some weirdness to things. And we kind of said it in the first week, like, don't hide from the weirdness in your Bible. Let it be weird. It was written to a different culture a long time ago. Uh, we don't want to strip the weirdness out of it because we lose some of the meaning. Um, but this is the final week. And so if you've missed any of this, if this is like your first time here or tuned in online or you missed some of these weeks, uh, you're probably going to want to go 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 back and check out the entire series. It's gonna make a whole lot more sense. You can do that on the website, hopecommunityonline.org. But just to get us all on the same page this morning, start off with a recap, the first week, We talked about this idea of spiritual beings, that there are many spiritual beings in in the Hebrew text of of, of the Old Testament. The word is Elohim. And God, that we would think capital G-O-D, God, the Most High, Yahweh, he is one of these spiritual beings. But spiritual being, Elohim, it's like a really broad category. It can be be God, it can be angels, or the cherubim and seraphim, and the divine council, and the sons of God, and these uh, little g gods of the nations around Israel. The same word is used for all of that. Um, but the, the, the big idea was that God is in a category of his own. Even though he is a spiritual being, none of the other ones are like him. And so the, the thrust of scripture is that he is the most high. He's revealed himself in Jesus. And, and the question is, will you give your, your commitment, your allegiance, your loyalty to him? And in the second week, we said, hey, some of those spiritual beings, some of those other uh, Elohim, those other spiritual beings, some of them are, are some pretty unsavory characters. Like some of them are actually in rebellion against uh, God the Most High and rebellion against his plans for the world. And it's that spiritual rebellion or spiritual evil or supernatural evil combined with human sin, um, because as human beings, we sin, we unleash destruction on the world. Like I sin, you sin, he sin, she sin, we all sin, okay? It's like a Dr. Seuss book, okay? And we, we, all, we are all as people really good at blowing up our lives and the lives of people around us. Like, and that idea of human sin paired with supernatural evil is what's wrong with the world. It's why there's pain and suffering and destruction, and people do awful, awful things. And then last week we said the solution to that has to address both parts of that equation, and that Jesus came as that solution, Um, that, that, that Jesus came and addressed both, that the plan of God before time, before creation, when it was just God existing eternally and there was nothing else, his plan was always the cross. Like the cross of Jesus, the self-sacrificial love of God was the plan before anything to address what went went wrong with the world. That through the cross, our sins are forgiven, that all the stuff that that we do that's wrong, the wrong things that we do that we shouldn't, the the right things that we should do that we don't do, and and the the punishment that we deserve for that, Jesus takes that upon himself on the cross. But then also through the cross, um, Jesus has... Disarmed the powers and authorities. He's made a mockery of the spiritual powers of darkness. He's put them to shame. So that's where we've been. And so today I want to focus our time on okay, we're wrapping up the series. What do we do now? How do we live in light of this? What should we do, especially for those of us that are followers of Jesus? Let me preface this by saying if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, then this is for you. This is this is like not optional. It's like this is what we are called to do. If you're here, or even tuning in online, or watching this later, or listening to this later on the podcast or something, um, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're just exploring things, you have questions about faith, you're just trying to lean in and try to figure this all out, then you're actually off the hook. Like you don't have to do any of this. Any time that, that we talk about the Bible and Scripture and what we have to do, and, uh, and and know that as a church when we talk about that, those of us that are followers of Jesus are on the hook for that. Like, we're the ones that have said, I've signed up, I'm going to do this, um, that I don't get to pick and choose the parts of Jesus I like, because when I do that, I'm not actually picking Jesus, I'm picking my version of him. But if you're outside of that commitment to follow Jesus, you don't have to do this. You're invited, rather, to kind of lean in and and just take it in and go, hmm, do I believe that? Is that something that I could possibly live by? Because here's what I believe, here's what we believe, is there's a lot of things that you can orient your life around. There's a lot of views and, and filters and stories to live out of, uh, um, philosophies and worldviews of what to ex- how to explain the world. You know, ethics and morality and science and philosophy and uh, identity and purpose. And, and I've got to have something that answers all of those questions. And we think that Christianity and Jesus does the best job at answering all of them. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, I just want you to to be honest with yourself and explore that, to lean into that. But again, for those of us that are Christians, this is what we are called to do in light of kind of what we've been talking about in this series. You've been saved from your sin. You've been moved from the kingdom of darkness, transferred into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of God. And so we celebrate that. We're like, woohoo, this is great. But yet when we look around, the world is still broken. Anybody notice this? Like it's like, yay, Jesus came, Jesus won the victory. And sometimes you would look around and go, sure doesn't look like it. The world's still broken. Like, on both, on both fronts, human sin is still wreaking havoc on the world. We're still destroying ourselves. We're still destroying one another. And this idea of spiritual evil or supernatural evil is, is still kind of behind things. It's still having its way. It's still moving cultures and humanity towards destruction and so what like what do we what do we do with that how, how is that possible like Jesus has won and yet things are still kind of a mess there's this paradoxical uh, idea within Christianity of when it comes to the kingdom of God that that it's it's already it's already here but it's also not yet it's already but it's not yet that, that Jesus there's life death and resurrection has ushered in the kingdom of God like it is here in the present and yet at the same time there's still this competing kingdom of darkness And the fullness of the kingdom of God, we're still waiting for at the return of Jesus. No, no, like the battle's already won. The ending is already written. There is no, uh uh-oh, like Jesus in the side of good loss. Like that's not going to happen, but things are still playing out. Um, And one of the best kind of examples of this that I heard that described actually happened at Alpha a couple of weeks ago some of you are part of Alpha so you were there for that if you don't know what Alpha is it's a, a kind of a course that we run actually it's, it's run all over the world it's a space for people who are skeptical or have questions about faith to ask whatever they want say whatever they want doubt whatever they want um, and a couple of weeks ago we were talking about the problem of evil uh, and, and how do we reconcile with evil the fact that Jesus has already defeated evil yet we still see evil around us and I like history so this this uh, example connected with me they talked about World War II uh, that D-Day was June 6, 1944. It's when we, uh, the Allied forces stormed Normandy. They, they made the landings, and uh, paratroopers were dropped in behind enemy lines. And uh, the, 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 the D-Day, June 6, 1944, many historians will look back and say, okay, that's actually when World War II was won. Like, that, like that, was, that was the defining moment. That was what brought about victory. And yet, VE Day, Victory in Europe, was not until May 8, 1945, There was almost an entire year of fighting that went on, even though the thing that really won the war had already taken place, there were battles that had to be fought for the liberation of the European continent. And they kind of, at some level, yes, the, that, that example falls short, but there's just this idea where well, the victory was won, and yet there was still a battle going on. And it, was, it relates to being a follower of Jesus. Jesus has won the victory. Evil is defeated. It's never going to win. It's not going to be like, surprise, twist at the end. <laughs> no, like evil is defeated. Jesus has won. And yet, for those of us that are followers of Jesus, we still find ourselves in the midst of a battle. And that's actually how, uh, that's how like the authors of the New Testament even talk about it, that we are in a war. They use this kind of warfare narrative. And that's what we're going to talk about today. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're part of the kingdom of God, we are in the midst of what is called spiritual warfare. Everybody go, ooh. Hey, you actually did it. Good job. Because sometimes, sometimes like spiritual warfare is one of those things that's kind of like weird and sp- Spooky and very ill-defined. It's kind of vague, and it's like, ooh, we're gonna do some spiritual warfare. Someone get a ritual sacrifice, okay? Like, like it can just kind of have this weird connotation, okay? But at its core, it's simply this: it is a conflict between two kingdoms. Just that any kind of war that is waged that is waived, it's always a struggle between at least two parties two kingdoms two powers two nations a nation within itself two factions like that's what war is spiritual warfare is the same thing is a conflict between two kingdoms the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this present age the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness and for those of us that are followers of Jesus that are part of the kingdom of God we're caught up like we're engaged in this battle whether we want to be or not a battle against the powers of darkness. Let me say what spiritual warfare is not. Again, it's not like, it's not shouting at demons like, in Jesus' name I command you. Like, it's not that. It's not, like, it's not weird stuff. It's not, it's not battling against other human beings. Sometimes we do that. Oh, spiritual warfare. So I got to make sure we pass certain laws and vote a certain way so the devil don't get a hold of our country. That's not spiritual warfare. Like Spiritual warfare is not, I'm going to be against my neighbors or the people around me. It's, we're, going to, we're going to fight against those atheists. We're going to fight against those Muslims. We're going to fight against those other religions. That's not spiritual warfare. We're going to picket or protest funerals and weddings. That's not spiritual warfare. The Apostle Paul is very clear about who our battle is against and who it's not. He says this in his letter to the Ephesians. He says, our struggle, our struggle is not against flesh and blood and he uses these words that we've been talking about in this series. Is every time the Apostle Paul talks about the spiritual powers of darkness, he talks about them in terms of uh, like rulers and authority. So he says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood. Who's flesh and blood? People. You and I. Every human being on the face of the planet is flesh and blood. Last time I checked. But he says, that, that's not who we, we wage war against. But it's against the rulers, against the authorities, the cosmic powers of this darkness and evil spiritual forces in the heavens that idea of in the heavens is this idea of in the in the heavenly places in the spiritual realm uh, not like up in the clouds but this idea of like in the heavens he says make no mistake about it follower of jesus if you're a christian you are in a war but the enemy is not your neighbor the enemy is not people that disagree with you the enemy are these powers of darkness you're in a war And if you're a follower of Jesus, not only are you like in a war zone or is this battle going on, but you are called to actually be a part of pushing back the powers of darkness. I'm going to look at this verse we actually looked at last week as it related to to Jesus defeating um, spiritual evil. Uh, It's this really famous account where Jesus is, uh, he's with his disciples outside of a city called Caesarea Philippi and he asks them, hey, who are people saying that I am? And they're like, well, some people say this, some people say that. And they're like, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter makes this declaration, he tells Jesus, he says, well, you're the the Messiah. That is, you're the one that we've been waiting for, the one that God promised, the one that's going to set things right. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answers him and says, you know, absolutely, you're right. And he says, you know, God has revealed that to you. Then he says, and I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. He says, you're right, this idea that I'm the Messiah, that, that I'm the one that is going to set things right, I'm going, to, I'm going to pay for sin, I'm going to defeat evil, like absolutely Peter, you are right on, that is exactly who I am, that's my message, that's my mission, and on that idea, who I am and what I'm doing, I'm going to build my church. We, we hear church and we think, programs. that's not what church is. The word that's translated here is the Greek word ekklesia, and it simply means a gathering, an assembly, a congregation. And it wasn't particularly a a religious uh, term, it didn't have religious connotation. It was used in all kinds of ways. One of the most common ways would be used in the context of like a civic gathering or a political gathering, that it was just a group of people who were gathered together who had a common purpose, who had a common mission, who had something in common. And Jesus says, I'm going to build a gathering of people, and the thing that is going to unite them is me. In my mission, I'm gonna build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Death itself, the realm of the dead, the power of death will not be able to stand against the church. Last week we mentioned that the significance, the geographic significance of where Jesus was standing when he said this. This area was known to the ancient peoples and to Jesus' disciples. They knew this was, this was actually He was standing at a place that was known as the gates of Hades or the gates of hell. That like, in their mind, this was like the pinnacle place of evil in the world. It was the, the, the gateway to the underworld. And that one of the things that Jesus was doing was showing up at the front door of the spiritual darkness and pounding on the door saying, your time is I'm here to defeat you. But notice he's saying that. He's the one that's winning the victory, but his church is also a part of this. His church is also a part of pushing back the powers of darkness and the things that hold people in captivity and in bondage. The church plays a role. The church is on the move, not just kind of like we're here, just waiting for Jesus to return. The church is the one that's out declaring the king has come, the kingdom is here, you are invited into the kingdom. You are invited to to be rescued from the kingdom of darkness and the things that are destroying you and step into the kingdom of light and life and flourishing. The church is called to be active in the world, pushing back against the powers of darkness. That is what spiritual warfare is. Spiritual warfare is, is, is a proclamation of God's kingdom come. It's a proclamation of the gospel, the good news about who Jesus is and what he has done. That's the thing that the spiritual powers of darkness are afraid of. That's what makes them tremble. It's the kingdom of God advancing. It's them losing their grasp on people who are in bondage to sin and to shame and to death and destruction and pain and suffering. What they are afraid of is the gospel entering into people's life and people leaving that life and coming into the kingdom of light. There's a A verse that kind of points to this. Um, It's in a a letter that the Apostle Paul writes, his letter to the Romans. uh, And he's explaining kind of what Israel's role will be at the end of days. And it's kind of a debated passage, like what does this exactly mean? But there's just one phrase that I want us to see that, that points to this idea. And so Paul is writing and he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you'll not be conceited. So what he's doing is he's writing to the church in Rome and he's addressing specifically Gentile Christians. So that's anyone that was not you know, a, a Jew, like a, 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 a national like Israelite, an Israelite by heritage, by blood. So anybody who has become a follower of Jesus that wasn't Jewish before, that's a Gentile Christian. That's all of us in this room. That's the majority of people throughout human history. And, and he, he's, he, just before this, he's talking about how, like, if, you know, the, if Israel was like a plant, it was like God's people, the Gentiles have actually been grafted in. They're not actually a, a natural part of what God was doing, but he's so good, he's so merciful, he's so loving, his goal was always to graft them back in. And so he says, well, I don't want you to be ignorant of that, and I don't want you to become conceited. So in other words, like, don't get full of yourselves, like, oh, look what God did, we're so much better than other people. It's like, no, no, like, we're all messed up, you've been grafted in. And he says, a partial hardening has come upon Israel... And here's the key phrase. Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now again, like I said, there's debate over this, about like, hey, what's, what's, you know, what's gonna happen with Israel in the end of days, this, this, what this passage is about, when, when Jesus returns, when the new age comes, when the kingdom is fully established, what's Israel's role gonna be? Because um, he's like, well, they're, they're, their hearts are partially hardened now until the fullness of the Gentiles that there's something about the fullness, the complete number of people, of Gentile people that are going to come into the kingdom of God, that that has to happen before it's the end of time, before Jesus returns. But the, the, every tribe, tongue, nation, whenever, like God before the foundations of the earth, before time began, like he knew who was gonna be his follower. Like he, he knew, he's like, okay, I, I know who's gonna be part of my kingdom. I know who's gonna accept my love, and my grace and forgiveness. Uh, and until like that point is reached, We're going to continue on in this age. And so for the spiritual powers of darkness, they know this too. And they know that when the day of the Lord comes, when when the end of the age comes, that will be their demise. It's at the end of the age, the day of the Lord, when the the spiritual powers of darkness are judged. They're thrown into the abyss. They're thrown into the lake of fire, where the, the sources of evil and suffering and pain are done away with. And so what they fear more than anything is the gospel going out is people embracing the message of Jesus, but people being set free. They don't want to see the fullness of the Gentiles come in. They don't want to see people respond to the message of Jesus and have their lives transformed. And so we can, we can be weird about spiritual warfare and we can, like, we can, we can you know, infer a whole bunch of things and we can, we can try to kind of come up with different theories and stuff, but at its core, spiritual warfare is found in something else that Jesus said. Spiritual war, like what it looks like to wage spiritual warfare is something called the Great Commission. It's the Great Commission. That Jesus, after he was crucified, resurrected, he hangs out for a couple of weeks and like hundreds of people are seeing, like, whoa, he's alive. And then he ascends into heaven. But before he does that, he gives his disciples some instruction. He says, like, look, I'm 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 leaving. My work here is done. Now I'm handing this mission and this movement off to you. And here's what he says: this is found in Matthew 28 says so he came to them and said all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So again there's this reinforcement of I am the most high god. I have done something the king has come the kingdom is here. I have all authority on heaven and the spiritual realm and on earth. I have the authority, the power of sin and death and evil and spiritual evil is broken. All authority has been given to me. So he says go therefore like, in light of the fact that I have the authority, in light of the fact that I have come, that I've set things right, now I'm, I'm instructing you to go and make disciples. A disciple is simply a follower of Jesus. It's someone who sees Jesus and says, that's my Lord, that's my teacher, that's my, my rabbi, that's my master. Wherever he goes, I go. Whatever he does, I do. I'm, I'm following him in every area of my life. He says, you become one of those and then you go make other people who do that. Go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and the son of the holy spirit teaching them to observe everything i've commanded you and remember i am with you always to the end of the age you want to fight against the powers of darkness jesus says the authority is mine and here's what i want you to do i want you to go and tell people about me go tell people because i'm the king and i've come my kingdom is here And I want as many people to come into my kingdom as as possible. So go and tell people. That is spiritual warfare. Spiritual darkness, the powers of darkness and evil, the things that hold people captive and destroy people's lives, is fought back with the power of the gospel. It's the power of Jesus, the gospel, that changes people's lives. And until we do that, like as people, as followers of Jesus, until, until we engage with people on a gospel level, until we engage with our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends and our family members on a gospel level, on a, a, you need to know Jesus, you need to meet him, you need to walk into his kingdom. Until we do that, every other effort that we do just treats symptoms. When we try to help people and serve people and feed people and clothe people and, uh, and, and help people through addiction and counsel people through relationship issues, like that's all awesome. That's all incredible. And we, sh- we should absolutely do all of those things. But if that's where we stop, we just treat symptoms and we stop short. And we, I mean, we, we see this, right? I mean, we, you've probably seen this. I know we see this on a, a global scale, we see this on a national scale, we even see it in our local communities. Because of what I do, I have an opportunity to get to talk to people, to get to meet with people, to get to hear about what people are going through. I see so much pain and so much suffering and people who, whose marriages are falling apart, people who are struggling with addiction, people who are struggling with anxiety and depression, people who are, uh, who are kids have gone off the rails, people who got so upside down financially and whatever it is, and there's so many things that we can do to help them out, but at the end of the day, if, if all we do is address like a physical need, we just treat a symptom. I get to sit in on on different meetings and be a part of different groups in our community because of my position, and and it is absolutely heartbreaking to hear what certain people in our community are going through. Addiction, and poverty, and drug use, and drug abuse, and uh, abuse, and neglect. I mean, just the things that happen to kids in this community would make you break down. There's certain meetings that I come out of that are the kind of meeting that's like, I'm so broken but at the same time so motivated because someone has to do something. And we have to recognize that that's more than just someone's going through a rough time or somebody made a bad decision. That There is a reality that there are spiritual powers of darkness that are out to destroy people's lives. And if all we do against spiritual powers of darkness is address some physical needs, they will be there indefinitely. It's only the gospel that has the power to set people free. Only the gospel has the power to do that. And I'm so, great, I'm so grateful for our community. If you are from the, the, this area and kind of like plugged into how things happen, you know that this, there is something unique and special about our community. Our schools do an incredible job of taking care of kids and families. There are great uh, nonprofit organizations. There are churches that are doing incredible things of feeding people, clothing people, counseling people, help, helping people with addictions. And those are all great things. We, we have to do those things. You can't neglect those things. But those things treat symptoms. They don't Actually, change lives. And so we see people kind of stuck in a cycle. It's like we treat symptom after symptom after symptom and and then. If you spend long enough doing it, it's like it's the same people, it's the same person, it's the same family. If you spend enough time in one area long enough and you start having conversations, you, you you have a conversation with someone who's a little bit older and they're like, oh yeah, I grew up with their parents, it was the same thing with them. And then I have a conversation with someone even a little bit older, I grew up with their grandparents and it was the same thing with them. And we see this idea of like a generational kind of curse and, and we, we throw things at the symptoms which we need to do. We need to help people, we need to lift people out of poverty, we need to feed and clothe and all those things, scripture instructs us to do those things but if we don't address the underlying issue nothing ever changes that people are in bondage to spiritual pain and suffering and darkness and evil we need to treat symptoms but we can't ignore the gospel because only the gospel changes lives Because the gospel is the message of Jesus. The gospel is the power of God. The gospel, Jesus is the one who saves. He's the one who frees. He's the one that transfers people. He is the one that transfers people. Like we said last week, from the kingdom of dark to the kingdom of light. I can't do that. You can't do that. See, so the best that we do when we go out and we do the things that we should do as followers of Jesus and we feed people and clothe people and serve people and love people and help them through their problems, the, like, the best we can do is we, we show up in people's lives as they are living in the kingdom of darkness and we show up as a, as a glimmer, as a, as, a, as a light, as an indicator, as this picture of the kingdom of light. That, that for a moment someone can see, oh, that's what the kingdom of light looks like. And we show up and we can show people the kingdom of God. We can, we can let them experience for a moment, but only Jesus can actually move them to the kingdom of God. If they're in the kingdom of dark, darkness, I can show up and say, let me show you what Jesus and his kingdom is like, but only he can actually move you from one place to another. The gospel has the power to do that. And so that's what he instructs. He says, look, I'm building my church that's gonna be a part of this mission. And here at its most basic level is what it is. Go make disciples. Go, go show people the Jesus way. Go introduce people into the Jesus way. Go invite people into the Jesus way because the Jesus way in every single aspect of life is better. It's not always easier, but it's better. It leads to life. It leads to flourishing. So he says, go invite people into that. And you'll see lives transform. Now do all the other stuff too, absolutely. Serve people, feed people, clothe people. We do those things, we will continue to do those things. We will continue to support and partner with great organizations that do those things. But the church has a unique role to play in society because the church carries the message of the gospel. So go and make disciples, that's the instructions. And sometimes you know, sometimes we, we act like it's a math problem. We're like, ah oh, man, like, it's just too hard. The numbers are just too overwhelming, like, how am I going to, like, there's so much pain, there's so much brokenness, there's so much suffering, how can we possibly make a difference? There's so many people that don't know Jesus, and we act like it's a math problem, but it's actually not. I think the math problem, the overwhelming nature of it sometimes is is something we use as an excuse. So just for a reference point, there are about 13,000 people in the greater Minerva area, um, that's, uh, that, that's kind of like Minerva School District, okay? Because Minerva proper is only like three or 4,000 people. But, you know, we're rural. We're spread out. So this includes the suburbs of Minerva, okay? Paris and New Franklin, East Rochester, Robertsville. you know, big ci- I, I live in the big city here within city limits, right? But um, 13,000 people in the greater Minerva area, and I recognize some of you actually drive in from different areas. You can apply this to your context as well, because we're all kind of so tight-knit in these communities. It's an even greater reach than that, but 13,000 people. Man, that's a lot. That's a lot of pain. That's a lot of hurt. That's a lot of people that need to be set free from things. How can we possibly make a dent in that? And we're just one church. Let's pretend for a minute that there aren't even any other other churches in our community, which there are. There are some some incredible ones. But even if it was just us, and when we pull everybody together, those who are here, those who are watched online, those who aren't here this week but are part of our church, let's say we have maybe 50 people. What can 50 people do for 13,000? Well, every single one of us can decide, I'm going to disciple one person. One person. There's going to be one person I'm going to be praying for, that I'm going to be having conversations with, that I'm going to walk alongside, that I'm going to, have, that I'm going to invite to church. There's going to be one person that I'm going to pour my life into. And if all of us would do that, say this, over the whole year, I mean a whole year, just one person, I'm setting the bar kind of low. The first year, the 50 of us would become 100. The second year, 100 would be 200. The third year, two would be four. 400 would be 800, 800 would be 1600, 1600 would be 3200, 3200 would be 6400, 6400 would be 12,800 in eight years. It'd be 13,000 disciples by 2030. Eight years. 13,000. Every man, woman, and child in the greater Minerva area will be reached with the message of Jesus. Shoot, we've already been here for five, so let's go. Eight years, 2030. We'll have blanketed the entire area. I'll be 40. I can retire. It'll be great. <laughs> Just kidding. Because here, here's the reality the reality is not everyone's going to accept the message of Jesus. And that, I mean, that, that's heartbreaking, but we understand that. The reality is, there's some other incredible churches that are carrying this message out as well. So this number should actually be a lot huger. It should be so big that we should be able to say, "All right, Minerva's covered." In a couple of years, let's branch out. For those of you that are driving in from different communities, let's say, "Hey, let's start a hope community there." Let's cover the entire northeastern part of the state. Let's cover the entire state. Like there are like, do you, do you understand how the math works? Like this is exponential. How much impact we can have, and we can push back the kingdom uh, of darkness and proclaim the message of Jesus. And people can. Actually, be set free. It's not a math problem. It's all of the other garbage that we bring into it. It's stuff like division in the church. We divide over the dumbest things. Now, I'm, I'm grateful for this church and, and, and the body that we have here. We don't have a whole lot of this. Like we don't bicker about dumb things, and so I love that. But I mean, I, I, I'm not. I'm not ignorant. I mean, I, I know that over the last year and a half that, that there are people who were part of our church that aren't part of our church anymore because they were mad about how we handled COVID. And, and on one level, that's heartbreaking. And on the other level, I'm like, well, too bad because no matter what we decided we were gonna tick someone off, get over it and get on mission. We're so much division in the church. I mean, like, we divide over politics. We divide over secondary theological issues. We divide over worship style and worship service and what kind of music we have. We divide over the color of carpet, which is why we don't have carpet here, so you guys can't fight over it. Like, that, that was the reason behind it. Not really. Uh, but, but like, just the dumbest things, man, churches, like, they split and they, and they forget, hey, stop fighting each other. We actually have a real enemy. It's not a math problem. It's a division problem. It's, a, it's an apathy problem. It's the, I'm doing my life, and I'm a follower of Jesus, and it's church on Sunday, an hour here, I feel great, I feel wonderful, I don't want any more than that. I don't really want Jesus to touch any other part of my life. Praying, psh, read the Bible, psh, talking to people about my faith, sacred, like, heaven forbid I do something that might cost me. It's a, it's a consumerism issue in the church, it's consumerism and, and comfort. It's like, I, I want to come here so I can get filled up so I can be good with God. It's like, I, I want my kind of music. I want my kind of preaching. I want good kids for, good programs for my kids. It's just about me, 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 me. And that keeps us so off mission. Our leadership team is going through a, a coaching thing, a kind of study thing uh, right now, and in the session we just watched this past week, the, the guy that's taken us through, he's like, here's what I tell my church all the time, he's like it's the difference between uh, a cruise ship and a battleship. The church is not a cruise ship because on a cruise ship, everyone sits around and, you know, you eat some yummy food and you drink some good drinks and you're like, excuse me, I need a refill, right? And you, you sit and I don't really know what you, I've never been on a cruise, but like, you know, you sit and people serve you and they wait on you. He's like, no, 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 like that's how we approach church sometimes, like I need my needs met. You no, know, the church is a battleship. Everybody has a role to play. Everybody has something they're supposed to be doing. And if you don't do your job, something is missing, If you're not doing, if you're not part of the battle, if you're not part of the plan, then get off. And those are the things, it's not a math problem. It's a heart, it's a desire. It's a, are we serious about what Jesus is calling us to do? We are in a war, we're in a battle. The Apostle Paul said it's not, it's not against flesh and blood, it's not against our neighbors, it's not against other churches, it's not a, it, it is against the powers of darkness. It is against the things that hold people in captivity, that destroy lives, that ruin lives, that blow up marriages, that destroy kids, that, that get people stuck in addiction. Like, that is what our battle is against. That's the reality of uh, this unseen supernatural world is we are in a battle every single day. Are you going to fight in it or not? Like that's really where we're at. We're going to be part of it. A- a- am I going to be someone who says, I'm in? Like, I'm, a- if I'm part of Jesus' church, that means I'm part of Jesus' mission. Are you going to be part of it or not? And let me just, let me just kind of say, if the answer is no, you're probably not going to be very happy around here. Because what's going to happen is, we, are we, we're, we talk about this all the time, we're going to continue talking about it all the time until either one of two things happens, either you're like, fine, I'll be a part of it, or you're like, I can't take it anymore, I'm leaving. But it's too important not to. Are you going to be in? Are you going to be a part of discipling people? Are you going to be, say, I, I, am, I am committed myself to growing in Christ, to being a disciple, and I am going out and making disciples of others. Am I, am I going to be praying for people? In my life, God, God, open up doors. God, work on their heart. Open up doors for me to have a conversation with them. Open up a door for me to, to invite them to church. I, 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 are you doing that? Are you going to be committed to saying, I'm going to have spiritual conversations with the people in my life, with my friends, my family, my coworkers? So when that door cracks open, when, when someone comes to you and is like, you know, man, like my, my marriage is a wreck right now. Or my, my finance, I, I made so many stupid decisions and I'm so upside down. Or my kid is off the rails or I'm stuck in this addiction. Are we going to do the easy thing that we do so often and say, oh man, that sucks. I feel for you. I'll pray for you. And then not actually do it. Or are we going to do the uncomfortable thing and in that moment trust that the Spirit is working and say, can I pray for you right now? and let me tell you about Jesus. You see, oftentimes we, we, we choose that first option, say I'm not gonna say anything because I don't want them to feel uncomfortable, but really it's usually about us. Do we wanna see people continuing to be in darkness and pain and bondage? Or we're gonna have those t- tough conversations. We're gonna invite people to church. Are we gonna, hey, are we gonna get ourselves in church and say I am here and I am committed, not because there's something magical about showing up in a church building, but because again, it's a battleship, not a cruise ship. the reason I show up to church isn't for me, it's for the people who are around me. It's so when someone comes in and says, you know what, my life is a mess, I'm giving this one last shot, I'm seeing if, this God, if there's anything to this God thing, I'm seeing if there's anything to this Jesus thing, that when they come in, newsflash, God works through his people, and if his people aren't present, they don't experience that. And i want to be here and be like, you know what? It's not, it's not about me. I'm going to be here early. so and it's, it's, I'm not going to be like, I'm showing up you know, five minutes into the service and I'm, I'm straight out the door because, again, that's about me. But I'm going to engage with people. I'm going to let God work in me and through me as I engage with the people of my church and the people that, that God is drawing here to see the gospel set people free. We're going to do those things. We're going to lead at home. Man, discipleship starts at home. Are you going to press into Jesus and show your family how to do that as well. Like, are we going to be those kind of people? I know it's like, man, Phil, you're coming down kind of hard on us today. And I know, I am coming down kind of hard on us today. But what Jesus is calling his church to is too important for me not to. Because every single day, our friends, our family members, our coworkers, the people that we, I mean, I'm not questioning do you care about them. I know we care about them deeply. And every day they are going through garbage that only Jesus can set them free from. And he's tapping you on the shoulder saying, hey, this is you, you're up. This is what it looks like for you to be part of the battle. We're going to step into that. And here's, here's the cool thing it's actually in doing that, we think, man, that's going to cost a lot for me, and it will. But it's actually in doing that that our faith comes alive and you experience something in your faith, you experience something in your relationship with Jesus that you don't any other way. So God, that is our prayer. God, I pray that you would just place a holy discontent in us, that you would make us so just uncomfortable about just the status quo. Lord, that we, you would open our eyes to see the pain and the suffering and the hurt of the people around us. But God, that you would convict us to know that only your gospel can set them free. Only Jesus can free us. Only Jesus can move people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And so, Lord, I pray as we we leave this place, as we engage with our families, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, Lord, that you would allow us to go out and to be gospel people, people who make disciples for your glory, for your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name.